Please be seated. And just a quick reminder that inside of the bulletin you're going to find an insert. It's time to get that insert out as we uh, press our mind into God's Word. On one side of it, it's going to say MPG. And uh, one of the things that's really important about uh, our identity as a church is that we are shaped by God's Word. And we don't want God's Word to be something that we kind of bounce into and bounce out. We really want to take it further down the road during the week when we have a a time like this where we can uh, press our mind into God's Word and to learn His will, how to live a life, a life that He always created us to live for. And uh, there is a, a scripture we want you to memorize. That's the M. There is a prayer that we want you to pray this week that pertains to the message this morning, and that's the P. And then the G is something practical that you can do. It That's the glorify God with your life, glorify God with a ministry of some sort, uh, some reflection questions, some things that you can do with people that are going through grief. And that is what we're going to be talking about this morning. On the front side, the flip side of that, you're going to find the sermon outline. You can use it as we go through the text this morning. But as you know, as we uh, enter into November, the big American holidays of Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's, these are right around the corner. And these holidays are, are happy days for a lot of people who have a lot to celebrate. But that doesn't describe everyone. For many folks, uh, these holidays, these special days are reminders that things are not the way that they were a year ago, that they're not the same as they were maybe uh, even longer than that, even more than a year ago. And these are not days of celebration, they're days of grief. And because that's true, uh, we want to be the kind of church made up of the kind of Christians that are described in Romans 12 with these words. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 Paul says, be devoted to one another in love. Be devoted, devoted to one another in love. And then five verses later, that devotion to one another in love is then it's further defined or described this way. Verse 15, rejoice with those that rejoice and mourn with those who mourn with those who mourn. Rejoice with rejoicers, mourn with mourners. I think one of the signs of a healthy church fellowship is knowing how to mourn with those who mourn. All people, including every single person, each and every member of this church family, is going to suffer some sort of loss that is going to lead to grief. That loss might be a person that you love deeply, and it may be through a death, or it might be through a divorce. And one of the things that we say a lot around here uh, with that kind of loss and that kind of grief is that, you know, grief is not about where they are. Grief is about where they are not. And death is not the way that it's supposed to be. Death is this awful intruder into God's creation. And, and grief is not about where they are, it's about where they are not. Or the grief might come from a loss that's of, of a job that you really loved, a career. Or it may, be the loss, it may be the loss of health 
or a home or a dream. That grief might just possibly come as a result of a mistake that you made. But it is a grief that comes. And sometimes that loss comes suddenly and devastatingly without warning. One minute everything is fine. I mean, you're just rocking along. Everything is just fine. And in the very next moment, an unshakable, unspeakable, horrific disaster is all around you and is threatening to take you down. Think of Job. In the Hebrew Scriptures, right there in the middle of the Old Testament, Job is described as the most righteous man in the East. And then suddenly he loses his seven sons and three daughters when a storm destroys the building that they were in. And in Job chapter 1, it's not just the ten children, it's everything else that he loses as well. Sometimes it's quick and it's sudden. At other times, it's like losing the solid ground beneath your feet one inch at a time. One inch at a time. And each day comes, each day dawns as a reminder that the life you love is eroding just a little bit at a time. Maybe sitting with a loved one whose memory is diminishing or whose body is slowly wasting away from disease. It might be watching a business or a career slowly circle the drain. It might be that period of time where you're, uh, you're, you're observing, you're, you're witnessing a child's serial bad decision making. And here's one of the things I think that we need to remember when it comes to grief. Loss is not the defining moment of a person's life. It's not. But how that person responds to grief can be. Loss is not the defining moment of a person's life. I mean, we all are going to, to experience loss. We are all going to grieve. But how that person, how we, as disciples of Jesus, respond to that grief can be. There's a fellow you probably have never heard of. It's a fellow by the name of Joe Hale, who said something many years ago. It's a piece of wisdom that's just, I heard it, it stuck with me. Joe Hale says that life is about change. Change brings pain. Pain brings grief, and grief must be processed, end of quote. Life is about change. Change brings pain. Pain brings grief, and grief must be processed. Will you say that with me? Grief must be processed. Let's say it again. Grief must be processed. In the, the time that we have left together this morning, I want to remind us of some things on both sides of the process of the experience of grief. To those who, who are grieving right now, there are three truths that I would like to remind you of and hopefully embed in your heart this morning. The first is this. Everyone grieves in their own way. 
Everyone grieves in their own way. As different as we are from each other, as unique as we are from each other, everyone is going to grieve in their own way. There will be some commonalities and some similarities, but everyone is going to grieve in their own way. The way that they process that grief will be their own path. I, I, I learned that when my father died back in 2013. Uh, in the past, I, I've talked about that experience and one of the things that I'll never forget about that time was I was just utterly surprised at the absence of tears. I thought that, you know, I would just fall into the fetal position when my father died, and I was surprised at the absence of tears. I became fearful that I was somehow not grieving, and that in not grieving, some in some way tamping it down, repressing it, that I was doing some kind of emotional damage or irreparable damage or harm to my soul. And that was something that I had seen in other people. I will be forever grateful to one of the members of our church family here, a guy with some grief training, Ed Biggers, who as a trained grief counselor met with me on the same day at the same time, the same restaurant, the same table, week after week after week after week, for nearly a year and we would get our food and we'd be at the table and he would start by saying you know how are you doing how are you doing this week and 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 then he would just listen and for the next hour hour and 50 minutes or whatever it was he would just tell me you know um you know whatever observation he might have he would sometimes ask some clarifying questions but at the end of those conversations at the end of the time he would always say this he would say mark you're grieving. You're just surprised at the way that Mark grieves. And I was. Everyone grieves in their own way. Everyone grieves in their own way, but grief must be processed. Number two, groans are language enough for God. Groans are language enough for God. I'm going to tell you one of the most important truths about grief. Grief is not very linear. Grief doesn't follow a clean path. From the point that that grief enters your life through some kind of a, a trauma, a crisis, a pain, or loss, whatever it might be, to the day that you feel that you're getting beyond it, it, there is not a straight line between those two points. Grief can be very, very messy, and that is the nature of dealing with pain and dealing with loss as a human being. But one of the other really big truths I hope you walk away with this morning is that the one who created us knows this. He understands our pain language. And I know you know this. In fact, it's, it's even kind of insulting to remind you of this. But God created our tear ducts. God created our tear ducts. And He is not afraid of your tears or my tears when we, His children, His sons and daughters, are in the depths of pain. And that is something that we follow in the footsteps of David. David, the, the, the poet king of Israel. David, when he wrote the Psalms, is just really kind of opening up his heart and letting it all spill out. Letting it all hang out before God. 
And in one particular psalm, Psalm 31, and he uses this word often, but in this particular psalm he says, my life is consumed by anguish. What he's saying there is that I can't go anywhere without pain. I can't go anywhere without feeling agony. And my years by groaning. Groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction. My bones grow weak. Groans are, are language enough for God. Everyone grieves in their own way. And then finally, and this is a point that we could actually spend all day talking about because I want to talk about the flip side of the coin when it comes to dealing with folks, administering and serving people who are grieving. I won't spend a lot of time here. But a, a truth as real as God is that God is working with you and in you during your grief. You are not alone. The creator of the universe the one who made you, the one who declares himself to be your shepherd, into his care you have entrusted your life, to the one that can give you contentment in green pastures and restores your soul. He is walking with you and he is working in you. And what that means is that when you walk with God, Suffering will not destroy you. I think of Psalm 29. Psalm 29 starts off with the, with the language of worship. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Ascribe to the Lord His majesty, you mighty ones. It's the language of church. It's, it's that time where you know everything is right. We're praising God. God is with us. Everything is, is going the way that it should. But then that psalm, just like life, turns on a dime. And, and the psalmist goes from the language of, of church and of worship and of praising God and hallelujah, things are wonderful, to a storm that has entered his life that threatens to destroy him. And he begins to describe it as a flood or as an earthquake. And we've, if you've ever been in the bottom of the valley, the dark valley of death, you know what that's like. There's this event that takes place, and your life is not the same. You are being shaken, and that's how he describes the storm. The mountains are being shaken. Trees are being uprooted. There's a flood, and it just seems like you're about to be overwhelmed. And then that's where the psalm changes slightly. And after describing this gigantic storm that comes into his life that is threatening to destroy him, he says, he declares, but God is enthroned above the flood. God is king. And what a wonderful truth that is, that God is king, that the thing that threatens us never threatens God. The thing that can destroy us is never going to destroy God. But then you begin to think about the pain that you're in for a moment, and you go, so what? Good for God. Good for God that He's enthroned above the flood. What about me? In the flood. And that's where the psalm changes for the fourth time. And from that position of power and authority and sovereignty to the person in the storm, God blesses them with two things. Peace and strength. 
peace and strength. You know, we live in a time where we think that if we have the knowledge or the information or the data about a crisis or an event or, you, you know, the, the, the event that is bringing the, the loss and suffering into our life, that somehow by making sense of it with our mind that we're going to be able to survive it. And, and that may be true in some cases. Understanding why this happens keeps us from repeating the mistake somewhere down the road. But in most of the losses that we experience in life, knowledge of it is not going to help with the pain. Knowing exactly, precisely why it happened is not going to take the pain away. And God knows this. And so he never promises the data. What he gives, peace, because he's near. Peace when your heart is breaking. Peace when you don't think you're going to be able to take it any longer. And strength to live today and to live tomorrow and to move on. He gives us peace and strength. In fact, God's power at work in a fallen world can take our worst moments, our darkest hours, our most tormented days, and use them through His power to transform us into a better version of ourselves. Like Jacob, we may walk for the rest of our lives with a limp, but God will make us deeper. more competent through wisdom to deal with the complexities of reality. To be wiser, to be more resilient, to be more compassionate. Paul writes in Romans 8, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. There is a day that is coming, brothers and sisters, There is a day that is coming where there will be a glory and an experience of that glory that will so transcend the pain of this world that everything that ever happened to us only will make the experience of that glory sweeter. And Paul continues, he says, And we know that in all things, all things, In all things, God works for the good of those who love Him and have been called according to His purpose. God is walking with you and God is working in you. And in the couple of minutes that I have left, I want want to address the other side of that coin. I want to address how we are called into ministering and serving those who grieve. There are two truths that as you, come, as you come into the presence of somebody that is a suffering, or you learn, you come to knowledge of somebody that is going through a rough spot, when it comes to mourning with those who mourn, truth number one, people who suffer a loss are not contagious. They're broken. Do not be afraid to go into their presence. A person who suffers a loss is not contagious. They're broken. And number two, never underestimate what you can bring to a grieving person. A lot of times we don't go into their presence, uh, we, we don't know what to say, we don't know what to do, and we certainly don't want to make it worse. 
but never underestimate what you can bring to a grieving person. Paul says at the very beginning of the second, what we call the second letter to that church in Corinth, he says, Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves received from God. What Paul is saying is that if you have ever gone through a loss, if you've ever suffered, if you have ever grieved a, 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 a tragedy in your life, for whatever reason, this tragedy has come into your life and you have experienced the comfort of God. As you go into the presence of others who are suffering, you become their companion in suffering. You walk beside them. You walk beside them. The, the word grief comes to us from the old French word grieve. It means to burden. It means to weigh down. A person who is grieving has a weighed down heart. A, a person who is grieving is, is under, has a burden on their heart that is threatening to crush them. And when we mourn with those who mourn as a companion in suffering, what we are doing is helping to lift that anvil, that weight, that rock off of their heart. We're helping to shoulder that weight of the event or the thing that is causing the pain so that they don't have to do it alone and they don't, they, they don't live their life crushed. Over the last couple of weeks, I asked some folks who have gone through some terrible grief or perhaps going through it presently to share with me their responses and their thoughts to three questions. The three questions are these. What did people do that really helped you with your grief? In other words, what, what worked? Number two, what did you hope for that didn't happen? And number three, what concerns or what fears did you have about connecting to people of faith or reconnecting with people of faith during or right at the very end of your grief? And what I want to do in the next couple of minutes is just share their insights, share their experiences by answering a question we typically ask a person in grief. And that question is, is there anything I can do for you? Sometimes we, we say it in a different form. It's, you, you know, call me if if there's something I can do. So I'm going to give you their answers. It'll be my words. It'll be their answers in my words. And secondly, these are all things that every single person, all of us here this morning, can do when we're being called into a place where we minister or serve a person whose heart is weighed down with grief. The first one is this. Be affectionate. Be affectionate. This is a really important way that we communicate to grieving people a gracious and merciful solidarity with them. Solidarity. That word that means that the two of us have come together in such a way that we're solid with each other. Support. A, a, a structure that has bound us together. And affection communicates that solidarity, that you're not in this alone. And there are times when showing appropriate affection through a physical touch is absolutely the right thing to do. 
whether it's a hug or a handshake or a pat on the back or, or putting your arm around somebody. When people come to church and we know, or they come to class, or they, they, we meet them on the street and we know what they're going through, be affectionate. A hug. A hug. A, a, a hand on the shoulder. Or be affectionate verbally. Words of encouragement. You know, cards that you can, you can write to somebody that says, I'm thinking of you. Go a long way. The, the pink cards are text messaging. When, when my wife was going through the grief of the loss of her father and her mother, there were some of you that texted her not just every day, but sometimes multiple times during the day and just said, hey, I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. I just want you to know that God loves you, and so do I. Or you're going to land on your feet. You know, God is walking beside you, and God is with you. And just that encouragement meant the world to her. But that affection that communicates that solidarity and that grace and that mercy and that love and that fellowship is so important. Number two, be hospitable. In that passage in Romans chapter 12, where Paul has said, be devoted to one another, and then in verse 15, he says, uh, mourn with those that mourn, rejoice with those that rejoice. In between those two, he says, practice hospitality. Hospitality is, uh, you cannot underestimate how huge hospitality is in conveying acceptance or, or recognizing somebody and what they may be going through, or a, a, approval of them. You're my brother, you're my sister, and you always will be. It, it's welcoming when you invite somebody into your home. Invite grieving people to share a meal in your home. Invite them to lunch. Invite them to the, the coffee shop. But, but be hospitable. Invite them. Another way to be hospitable when we come together on Sundays, invite them to sit with you at worship. There are social ch relationship changes that take place when somebody has suffered the loss of another person. Where there used to be two people or three people in a pew, and there's now one. Invite them to sit with you in the pew or in, in, in Bible class. Hey, can we just... Can we just have an unwritten rule in our church starting today that nobody, nobody sits alone in worship? Can we do that? And then number three, not only be affectionate, be hospitable, but be present. But be present. Be physically present. Sit in silence with them if needed. Allow the tears if they come. Listen if they want to talk, but be present. The bottom line is, at the front end of grief, a lot of people are not going to remember what was said to them. But what they remember is that you were there. You were there when it was tough. You were not there when it was easy, not there when it was just comfortable, not there when it was just, you know, easy. But you were there when it was hard. And they may not be able to ever remember what you said. They may not remember one syllable of what you've said to them. But they will remember that you were there when they needed somebody. And then finally, be helpful. 
be affectionate, be hospitable, be present, be helpful. The bottom line is do what you know to do. Do what you know to do. Uh, Showing up with food, even if it's something that's just going to be put in the freezer, takes a lot of stress out of the day. When you're going through grief, and, and, and grief is messy. Grief is not a straight line. There's a day forward and three back and then four forward and then five back and, and then you go sideways and then you go the other direction and then you do a flip. That's grief. And there are just days when you get up in the morning and you just think, you know what, today's going to be a great day. I feel like I've made some progress. And in the middle of that day, you're going to see something. You're going to smell something. You're going to hear something. And it's going to trigger grief. And you're going to get home at the end of the day. And guess what? You're not going to feel like cooking. And when we know this about grief, then we also know that when we show up with food, and even if it's just put in the freezer, it takes a lot of stress off of the day when somebody can just get it out of the freezer, stick it in the microwave, stick it in the oven, and there's food. Raking leaves. Mowing the lawn. Making sure a car's running. That it's got gas in it. Making sure that, that um, you know, the things around the house that need to be taken care of and the person that used to take care of them are no longer around, that those things are being taken care of. You know, that's, that's what it means to be a fellowship. That's what it means to be a companion in suffering. And when you don't know what to do, just remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. In everything you do, In everything that you do, in everything, do to others, say it with me, what you would have them do to you. That's the, what kind of rule? It's a golden rule. You know, we're going to call it the grief rule too. In whatever circumstances you find somebody grieving, do to them what you would want somebody, what you would want somebody to do for you. And that sums up the law and the prophets. You know, grief, grief is, grief is a crazy thing. It's a crazy thing. And it comes to everybody. And all of us are going to experience it at one time or another. But we're also part of this thing called the church, the body of Christ. And what that means is that we are in solidarity with one another. We're connected with one another. That there is a oneness to us that makes it really possible to be devoted to one another in love. That's what it means to be a member of a church. You're devoted to all of these people in love and you rejoice. Man, we are happy when people are happy and we'll get sad when people are sad. And when they are mourning, we will mourn with them. And together, and together, as we go through the valley of the shadow of death or pain or suffering or loss or grief or the heaviness that life sometimes puts on our heart, we do it with God and we do it with each other. Amen? Let's stand and sing.